0: Amen, amen. This is a day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. I want to give God glory this morning and give God thanks for an opportunity to share the word of God with you. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 10 uh, verses 24 through 35 uh, as we get into our message dealing with uh, building trust among ethnic strangers. Uh, And so it is my assignment this morning Uh, to really give us hope and encouragement uh, as we prepare our hearts to receive what God has to say uh, to us this morning. Uh, So beginning then at verse 23. uh, So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, he is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right Is acceptable to him. Scripture as it is written, the Word of God is already uh, blessed. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans in his book Oneness Embrace, he writes, the racial problem in America is the asterisk on an otherwise respectable reputation. Whether manifesting itself overtly in conflicts between differing ethnic and cultural groups or simply lurking below the surface as a suspicion, camouflaging the true depth of the problem, it continues to be the one dominant area of our failure as a nation. In spite of our successes in science, education, medicine, and technology, becoming truly one nation under God continues to elude us. Uh, Sarah Shin then writes conversely, that colorblind ideology does not simply affect individual attitudes about race, but becomes institutionalized and sustained by the larger group or society. Colorblind ideology nurtures an attitude and implies that different is bad and that somehow people must be apologetic for their skin color and cultural heritage. As we see, the juxtaposition of these two viewpoints. As Dr. Evans locates uh, America goodness, but yet says that there is an undercurrent of racial tension. Sarah Shin writes that the ideology of colorblindness, that is uh, saying to oneself that when I see a person, I do not see their ethnicity of their culture, uh, which then denies their very uniqueness, both of them find that this is really uh, uh, the heart of the problem, uh, the tension uh, that we are experiencing in this country. Uh, that on one hand, uh, we know that there is antagonism and there is a legacy of brokenness, of pain and suffering, uh, between ethnic groups. But then on the other hand, to now fashion, uh, an ideology or put on a lens and never really, uh, to be current, to put on a mask of, of cultural, uh, blindness or colorblind ideology is then, then to not recognize the tension, the antagonism, Uh, the legacy of division and pain and suffering, but it is to really hide and suppress it and and say that somehow it's irrelevant or uh, to really encourage or say to someone, uh, apologize for how you were born apologize uh, for your blue eyes or your brown eyes, apologize for the shape of your eyes, apologize for the texture of your hair, uh, apologize for your southern drawl, apologize for the way you think, you act, you, you, the way you uh, live and talk. But in reality, we have to learn how to embrace uh, the ethnic ethnicity and culture of every individual. While this burden may at times seem insurmountable, God has given the church the mandate and the wisdom on how to biblically and theologically address these issues. But our answers must be number one, pragmatic and respectful, moving beyond political correctness and mere social dialogue because what's going on in our society and in our world cannot be legislated. Amen. Uh, We cannot be separated, but we have to learn how we can live together. And the only way to do that is to have a kingdom uh, perspective, a kingdom perspective. And what I mean, kingdom, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, The a kingdom perspective and a compassionate heart is what is needed to bridge this racial divide. We live in a society of ethnic tension and, you know, it's been brought on for years that every generation that comes is is saddled with years of distrust and vitriolic rhetoric from those who propagate hate. But this current generation, and I thank God for this current generation, they are making it clear that they want to rewrite the script. This present generation is saying that, that, that bigotry and prejudice and injustice and inequitable treatment is not to be tolerated on our watch. We often talk about racial reconciliation, but we need to understand that racial reconciliation is not the hope of the gospel. It is, it is not even the, means that the racial uh, reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. Building trust between ethnic groups is not the hope of kindred, but building uh, a trust between ethnic groups ought to be the heart of kindred. Uh, building this hope, amen, or building this, this hope has to be generated by the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we have to understand, help it, hope is not just simply some confident expectation expectation or some wish that this thing might fall together but we have to understand that reconciliation and love towards the brethren is intentional and it is at the heart of God our churches though often avoid the topic of ethnicity and race because we think it is irrelevant to our faith or watch this. We are afraid of offending people and trying to avoid being political. Mm-hmm. Often we do not talk uh, or know how to talk about it or we withdraw conversations about race or ethnicity. Why is that? Because we often lack the skills, the language and the understanding to share the gospel in our diverse and divided context. Many of us don't know how to talk to people who don't look like us. Perhaps the reasons Christians have little to say is that for a time we bought into the secular world's gospel of colorblind diversity as the answers to our problems of ethnic division. Colorblindness often meant polite avoidance or silence inside and outside of the church. But we have to understand there's only one way for us to relate to one another. But over time, we've elevated things like skin color, you know, shade, hue, hair texture, language, ethnicity, to the level where they become criterion in which we judge whole ethnic groups. Amen. You know, we have a tendency to now generalize. And that's what ethnocentrism does. It generalizes, it generalizes and it says uh, that if one person in a group is like this, thereby, then all of them must be like this. It is like um, uh, looking at something or somebody from a distance and really trying to assess what they really look like it's like looking at somebody from a half a mile down the, the, the street and if you see somebody a half a mile down the street can you really accurately assess right that person can you really uh, properly assess right, what they look like or what their personality is like no how how can you believe that you can gauge and accurately assess who somebody is and what somebody is like from a half a mile away. If we use that standard, then isn't it foolish then how we try to now uh, assess other cultures from a distance? In reality, most of our distrust with one another is based not on fact, but based on fallacy. Why? Because in this country, we have inherited uh, embedded bigotry and prejudice. Uh, To be prejudiced just simply means to prejudge somebody, right? Uh, It is I'm prejudging or I have an opinion about somebody without really having the facts, and you know we are good at prejudice. We we are good at assessing uh, people without having uh, interacted with folk. But what we have to understand is this: we have an assignment to build trust, amen, among people uh, of ethnic diversities, amen. It's important for us as the people of God to recognize our assignment. But then we also should understand that that building trust is not an easy thing to do. Why? Because trust requires being intimate, trust requires a constant interaction with other people who are not like us. So now we can make an accurate assessment, right? Not a generalized assessment, but an accurate assessment to what this people or this people group is really about. As we look at our text this morning, we will find that there are some lessons that you and I can learn uh, from the interaction between two men who are ethnic strangers. We see two men, one uh, is Peter, who is a Jew, and then we see Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And it is through their, their relationship, it is through their interaction that we are going to learn how we can build trust. In particularly, I want you to pay attention to Peter because Peter is critical in the development of this text. It is uh, Anais Nin who says life is a process of becoming, that life is a process of becoming. That is a combination of states we have to go through. Uh, Why is that important? Because if we're going to move beyond colorblind, then the word beyond signifies a movement. So if I'm going to move beyond colorblind, then that means that I have to first identify what colorblindness is. I have to identify whether or not I am saddled uh, with the lens of colorblindness, right? Or, right, and if I am, then how how do I move forward? How do I move forward so I can experience a, a, a new mindset and a new attitude? Do I have a witness in the how somebody say amen. I thought I heard y'all say amen. It's important as we look at at the development of of Peter, we're going to see how God can take somebody who has a, a distrust with some other ethnic group and move them beyond the sense not of colorblindness, but in this context, to move them past the sense of prejudice, right? How can I move past uh, uh, or across my cultural and societal boundaries? How can I move to a point where I can see my ethnic other, amen, as, as a child of God? Amen. Why? Because colorblindness or moving forward, amen, uh, I have to remove some things that hinders me from moving forward and I have to replace them with things that will help me as I go to my new place. Are you with me? Can I say that again? And maybe I can say it a little more clearly. And that is God is moving or God is removing things from me and God is removing things from us that will hinder us from being the kind of church, from being the kind of people who embrace people, amen, uh, as Dr. King said, and, and judge folk by the content of their character. We wanna learn how to embrace the ethnic other without putting them down. So what can we learn about this text? One, we're gonna learn that there are three movements in this text. There are three movements. As we move uh, with uh, uh, Peter and we move all the way to Cornelius' house, let's take a look at these three movements. First thing we find that in chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, uh, we find Cornelius, who is uh, a Roman centurion. Uh, he is one who is over 100 soldiers. And we find that the Bible describes uh, Cornelius as a God-fearer, right? He is one who fears God. And, and when the Bible says that someone is a God-fearer, and, and particularly talking about a Jew, I mean a, a Gentile, a God-fearer is one who embraces some aspects, of Judaism, but yet has not fully committed uh, to Judaism and the embracing of its lifestyle and the embracing of a kosher diet, okay? And so we find that the Bible says that this man who is a, a Roman, this man who is a Gentile, but nevertheless, he is a God fearer. And so this man uh, who is a God fearer, now a Roman who who has a legacy of antagonism toward the Jewish people. Amen. In fact, at this moment, right, at this point in time in the text, uh, Rome is even occupying Palestine. And so the, the mere fact uh, that this Roman uh, is in uh, the blessed country is, is an affront in and of itself. And so we find Cornelius, who's now a Roman, who's a Gentile, and yet we see now that God has a plan for him. On the other hand, we see Peter who is a Jew, an apostle, one born of the covenants and the promises of God, right? And so we have this Jew who walked with Jesus. We have this Jew who is an apostle. We have this Jew who has separated himself. And we have this Jew now who has wholeheartedly embraced, amen, the lifestyle of Judaism. And yet something happens that's going to move both Peter and Cornelius to a place beyond reconciliation, but to a place where they can now engage one another with uh, ethnic respect. All right. Now, if we're talking about moving beyond colorblind, and we are saying that this is about movement, then movement always needs a catalyst. All right. Whenever we are going to move in particularly out of our place of comfort, we need what is called a catalytic event. Somebody say catalytic event. I heard you say catalytic event. Pastor, what is a catalytic event? A catalytic event is an event that comes in my life and disrupts my life. It's an event that comes to shake up my assumptions. It is an event that comes in that shakes up my theology. It is an event that comes in and turns my world upside down. Because if I, if we're going to move as the people of God, out of our comfort zones and out of our embedded uh, prejudices, then we need something in our lives that's going to move us forward. And so as we look to the text in verse uh, nine of chapter 10, we read that about noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while, he was being, while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground and by its four corners. And in it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, rise, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. This, my brothers and sisters, is a catalytic event. This is an event that has interrupted Peter's trance, this is an event that has disrupted his life he, because he is arrested uh, by a vision from heaven. And it, the, on the vision, the Bible says that a sheet was lowered down from heaven. And as the sheet was lowered down, it contained animals and reptiles, those that are clean and those that are unclean. And as Peter looks at it, he heard a voice say, rise, Peter, slay and eat. Now, uh, there's a whole lot that we could really deal with in this text. But because of the sake of time, I don't have the time to, to deal with every aspect of it. But I want to look at this part where he talks about that which is clean and unclean. Uh, at first glance, it looks as if God is testing uh, Peter or tempting him uh, to do evil. But James chapter one reminds us, amen, I think around verse 13, that God does not tempt with evil. And so it second way to look at it is that maybe God is challenging Peter to make a decision, uh, to either choose that which is clean uh, against that which is unclean. Uh, But I don't think that's what it is. I I think as Peter wrestles with this idea, uh, he thinks God is saying to him, Peter, I want you to eat something that is unclean. Uh, But yet, Peter looks at it, and he is baffled by what he has just experienced. How do I know? Because in verse 17, he says that while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had, suddenly men came knocking at the door that Peter now is wrestling with the catalytic event. Peter is wrestling with the event that is designed by God to move him forward, see? And so now as he's trying to make sense of it, he is in verse 17, he is uh, greatly puzzled by what's happening. And then verse 19 says that while Peter was still thinking about it, it was still on Peter's mind, amen, uh, the vision that he has been given. He was still trying to understand, what is this that I just experienced? God, help me to understand, amen, this event, but not really understanding what it means, and yet it opened his heart. It opened his heart to then now respond to the knock at the door. The Bible says that he heard some voices that was crying out to him. And as he hears these voices, it arouses him out of the trance as he is wrestling with, watch this, the revelation. It is the word of God and the work of God that have combined to be a catalytic event in the life of Peter. Uh, Let me give you an example. Years ago, one of my professors, Dr. Randy White, uh, was was teaching one day, and he was teaching uh, about uh, or out of the book of Isaiah chapter fifty-eight, and he was dealing with uh, dealing with uh, community development and how to have compassion for the poor and the broken, and he was talking about how God loved the oppressed. And how God uh, uh, was excited about the stranger, right? How Jesus loved everybody, right? Particularly the marginalized. And nevertheless, right there, right on cue, one of the marginalized, one of the oppressed, one of the street people, reeking of alcohol and smelling of urine, knocks on his door. Now, he was just teaching about compassion. He was just teaching about how much God loves, amen, right, the people, the broken, and the broken shows up at his door. Now, in that moment, You would have thought that Dr. White, because of what he was teaching, that he would have now opened his door up, amen, and invited the young man in, given him something to eat, amen, sat down and conversated with him and prayerfully shared with him the love of Jesus Christ. But no, Dr. White didn't do that. Dr. White slammed the door in the man's face. And as he slams the door in the man's face, he turns around and he walks back to sit down among his students. And he began now to pick his Bible up and he started teaching again. But he noticed something different that as he was teaching, nobody was writing. Nobody was really paying attention to what he had been saying. And so a hand goes up. Uh, excuse me, uh, Dr. White, uh, I-, I know you want to talk about uh, compassion, and I know you want to talk about community development, but can we take some time to talk about what just happened? And Dr. White says that he was taken aback. Because they said, you were just teaching us about compassion. You were just teaching us about the love of the stranger. And then when the stranger showed up, amen, what you thought about in doctrine, uh, you lacked in practice. (laughs) And so now Dr. White said, uh, it was that moment uh, that became a catalytic event in his life. Uh, To such a degree that he wrote a book called on ramps, all right, encountering God in the city. And that is what happens when God sends a situation in our lives to turn our lives upside down. When you thought your theology was right, when you thought your doctrine was straight, when you thought that your dogma was all together, God has a way to come on in there and turn your life up. Side down. What happened to Dr. White is the same thing that's happening to Peter right now. God has given Peter a vision and Peter can't make sense out of what's happening. But the truth of the matter is what's happening is stirring up his heart, And so now in his heart, he's wrestling with the word of God. He's wrestling with the work of God as they have collided in his spirit. And now they are propelling him forward. So the Bible says uh, in verse 19 that even after Peter was perplexed in verse 17 and in verse 19, he's now considering what's going on. And now we find that in verse 20, he's on his way. He's moving now. He has getting up, he's gotten up out of his comfort zone, and now he is being challenged to grow in his faith. Can I tell you this today? That's what God is doing for us, that God is challenging UPC. God is challenging ECC. God is challenging Damascus. He's shaking up our lives. He's shaking up our world. He's shaking up our comfort zone, and God is saying, rise, get up, People are hurting, people are in pain, and this is no place and this is no time for you to sit on your comfort stool, but it's time for you to rise up and be the people of God. Do I have a witness in the house here? Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout glory to God. Amen. And so Peter now begins a transformational journey. He's on a journey that's challenging Peter to see people in a different way. So when God. God, when I experience a sudden break in my life, when I, when God comes in and interrupts my life, when God comes in and disturbs me, when all of this happens, uh, then I have to learn uh, how to respond to uh, the move of God. Amen. Why? Because God is uh, up to something. God is trying to move us uh, beyond our colorblindness. And we, he sends eventually in our lives that moves us forward. Because why? We can't practice favoritism. We can't sit back, amen, and, and act as if all things are altogether lovely. Things are not altogether lovely. We have to acknowledge that God, what you are expecting from us and where I am right now are not in agreement. That's what we have to, church, we have to believe and recognize that whenever God speaks to us, he speaks to us, number one, how things are, and then he shows us how things should be, right? And then when he shows us how things are, and then how things should be, that, that space in between is called uh, dissonance. <laughs> That's what you call cognitive dissonance, when things as they are, are not as things should be. And so God shows me what should be as I'm wrestling with how things are. See, how things are, we are full of prejudice. We are full of bigotry. We are full of hatred. That's how things are. But see how things are going to be. We are going to all be brothers and sisters in Christ. How do I know? For the Bible says that we are all one blood. We were all made from one man and one woman, Adam and Eve. We all come from the same a family and so if that's where we started huh that's where we're gonna end up do I have a witness in the house here God is moving us forward can I have an amen in this house I shot myself happy hallelujah so watch Peter when he gets to verse 27 Peter has traveled the, the miles he's made his way And then when he gets to verse 27, it says, as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. He started the journey calling the Gentiles unclean. But something happened on the way that changed his heart and changed his mind. Something happened in his spirit that got him to the point of acceptance. Because in verse 27, when he says that you, you know, verse 28, you know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. That was not a law that God has laid out. That was their Jewish custom, because to the Jews, that they were the chosen people of God. To the Jews, they were uh, uh, ethnically clean. To the Jews, their ethnicity was elevated above all other ethnicities and culture. To the Jews, we are the sons of God. To the Jews, we have the covenants and the promises of God. And so you don't know, Cornelius, how big a deal it is. You don't know, Cornelius, what I had to sacrifice. You don't know, Cornelius, what I had to let go in order now to make my way to your house. I've come and I've crossed the line that I can't go back to. Come on. I've crossed the line now. See, because by crossing the line and coming in your house, uh, now to my brethren, I have made myself unclean. But God told me what you call unclean and common. God said, say no man is unclean and say no man is common. Peter said, I learned the lesson that God was trying to teach me, but I didn't learn it back in Joppa. I learned it as I obeyed what God was telling me. And you have to understand this, church, that it is the power of intimacy that will shape us for the journey ahead. If you don't spend time with God, come on now, allowing the Spirit of God to work in you and work on you and then to work over you then you and I will come to church we will remain in the same shape as we are today it's the power of intimacy that shapes my heart and readies it to embrace change it's not doctrine that changed the heart of Peter but repeated interaction with God How do you build trust with an ethnic stranger? You first have to build trust with God. See, it's God that does the work in our heart, that reveals that the ethnic stranger really is not a stranger at all, but somebody that God loves. The movement of developing trust, you can't coerce this. We can't make people come to kindred. We can't make them join a small group. We can't make them embrace what kindred is about because kindred can't be coerced. It has to be chosen. Peter exploded with good news. It is God's own truth. Nothing can be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. Ethnocentric attitudes are contrary to scripture and they are displeasing to God. The Bible makes it clear that all prejudice and ethnocentricity is sin. Human beings of all races, shades, and ethnic origins descended from one man and from one woman. As such, we are all brothers and sisters made in the image of God. No one is superior to another in God's eyes. It is because we are created in his image that God does not show partiality favoritism. He is not partial to one ethnic group or culture above another. Neither should we. The proof of God's impartiality is shown in the sacrifice of Jesus for the salvation of all humanity. Jesus did not die for one ethnic group, but by his death he ransomed all people for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus came to save the world, both Jews and Gentiles. The apostle Paul bears this out by saying there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers each and every one of us. Why should I build trust with an ethnic stranger? Not because of their goodness, not even because of my fear of the other, I build trust because of God's justice and God's mercy towards me. If God loved me while I was yet a sinner, then truly I can love the other. Because if God has been good to me, the love I have, I give to you. That's God's story, and I'm sticking to it. God bless you.